0: Listening to Women's Waves, a podcast by Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter. My name is Florence B. Lepage. Thanks for listening.
1: and they tried to kill me with I don't think I'm the woman that I was born to be they say it's ordained but I can't believe it. what you're God hearing
0: is a poem written and read by, by e Nina J. J I'll let her introduce no herself say,
1: my name is Enina J I um describe myself as a lesbian um a womanist feminist a poet um yeah, that's how I like to think of myself. I like to keep it short and simple. And I like to include Black. Words are important. Language is important. I like that language attached to anything I do. Black, lesbian, woman, survivor.
0: Vancouver Rape Relief invited Ine Jay in March 2020 for International Women's Day. She shared her poems with us and with our community during an intimate evening. We wanted to know more about her life and her art. This is her interview with my partner, Laurel McBride.
2: How did you initially come to find poetry? When I was a little
1: I mean, I always knew I was a poet. I think um what you want to know truly is um how I began to own it or when I realized it was something that was meant for me to use or something that could actually help me and that was probably because I used to use it to write poems for people's girlfriends. I mean it was I knew I could write, but I couldn't plan a career like that because no girl ever learns when she's younger, not in my day, not in the 70s and 80s, that you could grow up and be a writer. So I didn't think it was something that I could use. I wanted to be a teacher. So probably I used it frivolously until I was in the rape crisis centers. And that happened when I was, I want to say 24, 25, yeah. And um, when I took my first training, my first trainer um, was a woman named Phyllis Penese, who's still a very good friend of mine right now. And I used to show her some of my little poems, and I had written a poem, like, about suicide. But I still didn't think of them as anything, and they were all just in little boxes and drawers in my house. And then she she said, you should be writing this stuff. And I was like, you think so? And I think that I showed her a poem called I Am a Victim. And then I I wrote one that was called I'm a Survivor. So it was two different poems, and it was me making the distinction between those parts of my identities Um, when I realized there was a distinction. And yeah, so it happened then. Yeah, right when I found rape work is when I found poetry. Yeah, so those births are infused. But still, I wasn't sharing it, I was just writing it. It was just for myself. I wasn't writing it, I wasn't sharing it, and I wasn't saying it to anyone. Mm -hmm. Do you want to know when I started saying it to other people? I want to tell you that because that's (laughs) important. I started saying it because I had, um, I got suicidal. Um, I got to a place where I was burned out and this is, um, um, I had been in the rape crisis centers for years, at least a decade, and I got burned out, meaning I just couldn't imagine hearing another rape story, which made me feel like a failure because I never thought that day would come. I just couldn't imagine taking any. I hadn't learned to let anything out. So I was just swelling and swelling and swelling. And I was just obese with all this emotion, some of it mine, but not all of it. And I had no way to discern that and separate it. And so when I left the center, I healed for a while. I started going to therapy. And then I tried to go back to work at the center and I wasn't able to go back because I didn't have a degree and I had no idea what I was supposed to do in my life. Like, where could I do work? Where could I do this kind of work? And I knew once I was in the center that that was what my life was going to be about it from this point on until I died. Where could I go and do this? There was nowhere I could go and do this. And it just made me feel useless. That added to all my insecurities, all my holes. And my flesh, my emotional flesh, everything, um, my survival, the ways I hadn't survived yet, the incest, the rape, everything, all of it, the abandonment, all of it, just created this ball of a woman, a tight, round ball. And I decided that I was just ready to go. And so I had all these poems, all these notebooks in my house. And one of my friends, Vicki Sides, uh, she is a rape crisis worker still to this day. Not crisis worker, but she is... Um, a phenomenal woman who does work at University of Chicago um, around sexual violence. And she told me, she begged me one day, she said, please don't die with all these poems in your house. You know? And I never forgot that. So I said that I was going to go out and start reading my poems. And as soon as I read everything that I had and got every poem out, that I was going to kill myself. right? And it gave me this kind of bravery. I, I it gave me permission to say anything I wanted. I didn't care what anybody thought. I didn't care what anybody felt about what I said. Who didn't want to hear about the rape, I was going to torture them with it because I've been tortured my whole life. You're going to get these words. You know what I'm saying? Before I go, I'm not going to die with it. And that's how that part happened. Um, and But a thing happened, you know, in the midst of that. Women started listening to me, you know, which is not something I'd ever felt before growing up in a family with silence. Um... Decades of nurture, silence, um, in a family of of strong matriarchs, but still where men were worshipped. Abusers were worshipped. Yeah, so women started listening to me, and it made me stay. And they started telling me that it made them want to stay. Mm -hmm. And so I started creating relationships, you know and um, nurturing entanglements that would make me feel guilty if I killed myself. I still do that to this day for that purpose, with children, like in my life, to make sure that I'm accountable to those lives and I can't take mine.
2: Something that you said was that in your poetry, you made the distinction between victim and survivor. Could you expand on that? I did. You know, it's not unlike the... um,
1: to me, victim was a very—I thought of it then as a very—I came to think of it as a as a passive thing, and that was before I, it was just—it just took the simple introduction of a concept like survival, you know, or a word like survivor. It really was just that simple. I don't see—I see us all as victims and survivors at the same time because these things did happen to us, but just by virtue of us living and speaking about it, makes us survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just that simple. I used to think it was a complicated transition or a complicated evolution, or something that was a gradual process, but now I see them it's a simultaneous existence. I see it as for myself and for other women. Survival means to me taking what he did to me and reshaping it upon myself, meaning he created a hole and I'm going to take that hole and I'm going to fill it up with things, the things that, you know, um, the ways he damaged me the things he said to me and the insecurities that he created survival allowed me to to reshape those things and recolor those things you know i'm not dirty i'm not disgusting i'm not you know at fault i deserve to walk around you know what i'm saying it just survival was a power like I, that should have never happened to me victim had me question everything i did that night You know, survival made me realize I should have been, even if I was walking naked, I still should have been able to make it home safe. Who the fuck were you to come in there and interrupt whatever I had going on, even if I had made, you know, decisions that were questionable to you? You know, who were you to come into my life and make a decision about my life? So survival made me ask those questions as opposed to questions to myself where I existed in victimhood, you know, but I still drift into that. And the survivor has to come back and save me sometimes. So that's why I say they still exist in me today because I still have to do this work with myself. We don't get to a place where we say it wasn't my fault and then from that day on we think that. It's a constant process. Healing is a constant process. I still go through this stuff and I still have to remind myself. In my book, the one I just wrote, you know, I'm still reminding myself it wasn't my fault, it wasn't your fault, it wasn't my fault. I make it a point to say it every time I talk to women to let them know that sometimes I still struggle with that because in addition to what they did to us, what we do to ourselves after,
2: yeah.
1: it's unnecessary and it's because of all the silence and because we're not talking about it because we're still whispering about it. All of us whispering in separate corners about the same thing, which means
2: we really should be screaming, right? To you, what role does poetry play in the feminist movement? I think poetry plays poetry's
1: role. I think everything has its own role in feminism. Wherever women exist and whatever they're doing, that's a role in feminism. Poetry is the sound, it's a pulse, it's a vibration. It is um the place where we have permission to poets speak the unspoken, open up doors where women can like rush in and be like, oh my God, we can talk about this shit right here. She said it, that's what Audrey did for me. That's what Bell Hooks did for me. You know, that's what poets did for me. Um. Lucille Clifton has this, uh, this short poem. She's a black lesbian poet. And she says, uh, they keep asking me to talk about the past, <laughs> but they keep on wanting me to remember their memories and I keep on remembering mine. And that gave me just those simple words in feminism, without feminism I would never have been exposed to Lucille Clifton, gave me the permission to talk about incest with my family because the stories they were telling, we all grew up together, but the stories they were telling were not my stories. Um, So I think poetry is the poet, the pulse. It's the voice, it's the sound, one of them. And it's supposed to break the silences. I think that's what the role is supposed to be. We're supposed to break the silences. Mm. That's how I see my role, my job. But that doesn't mean that's
2: what other poets see their job as. As you mentioned, you worked at a rape crisis center for approximately a decade and a half. How did this experience shape your own analysis of male violence against women?
1: Joining a rape crisis center, to me, I, I, that to me was joining the women's movement. That was when I learned that all these things that I had been suffering and, and, and watching, my family, remember I mentioned my family, was powerful matriarchs but we're worshiping these male abusers in our family and being a child, trying to to find words or logic to understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, Being introduced in rape crisis centers, joining the rape crisis center and being in that environment with those books. You know what I'm saying? Those books and those thoughts and those theories and those philosophies, all of that, I was able to apply logic to that and understand conditioning, understand brainwashing, understand socialization and how that happens from the time that we're born and you know, and what the purposes of those socializations and those brainwashings were. And I was able to look back at my family just to you know, just on a personal way. Okay, so this is why they praised him. They really did think he was more powerful, but where did they learn that? And why did they think he was smarter? And why did nobody ever say it? you know what I'm saying? So it just gave me um context for a lot of confusion that I felt growing up. And it gave me power um, because I realized it was the same as um, being exposed as a black girl to the Willie Lynch letter. Like, this was a plan. You know what I'm saying? This stuff doesn't happen in a vacuum. It didn't happen by accident. They wanted me to feel like this. They needed me to feel like this for this reason so this could happen and this could happen. and. Me feeling guilty and me feeling at fault. This is what this serves. And this is the purpose this serves. And just being able to figure that puzzle out. It was a way to solve a puzzle. A puzzle of why women are um, where we are in society and where men are. And how they use that power and violence against us. And what we do with it and what we don't do with it. It just provided context.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't know how to answer that question. Um, yeah. It made me understand the world that I didn't understand. And it gave me also the room to believe that I could be a part of changing it, that it didn't have to be the way that I, that it was when I was growing up. Like the, all girls don't have to grow up believing that. Like that's bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Why did we, Why are we still teaching that? So yeah, it was, a, it was a very, one of the most pivotal points in my life. Yeah. Thank God for it, I think. Well, yeah. that's a figure of speech. I'm not religious, but, yeah, I'm very thankful for it. Very thankful for it. I'm like, oh, just so thankful. And thankful to those women who did that work. You know what I'm saying? Saying, like, um, those two nurses who came up with the, the theory around rape trauma syndrome. You know, just paying attention. You know, no book. There was no book about it. There was no writing about it. But they were looking and paying attention to how women were feeling and thought it important enough to talk about and sit down and write about. And, and, and I'm just incredibly thankful for all of them, all of them, all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt when I was in there. When I'm surrounded by those books, that's what that makes me feel like. This It reminds me that this didn't always exist. You know, somebody started doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it didn't start there. It actually started long ago. Yeah. Sojourner Truth is the first feminist I know of. But I'm sure there were many before her. She's the first recorded one. You know, she wasn't paying attention to, but she was a revolutionary. Harriet Tubman, Ida B. Wells, we were doing this feminist work long before white women were doing it in the 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, but, yeah. And then the resentment I felt, this resentment with that, too, the same resentment I felt when I got to the rape crisis center, was like, this shit was planned. You know what I'm saying? This whole way my life has unfolded, they had a plan for this like learning that black women have been doing that work all that time and you just ignored them and pretended like you just started it why didn't you just pick up where they left off or help them
2: you know so yeah Mm
1: -hmm.
2: what experiences of women only space have you had and how do you articulate the value of that space
1: I've had a lot of experiences with women only space um just like when I got to the rape crisis center there's a there's a um, a process you have to go through, just like somebody have, who had been involved in a cult all of their lives. There's a process of you have to back up that programming and get rid of that brainwashing. And you have to do that with like minds, people who experience what you experience. So just like people who have experienced rape, with women who have experienced rape, I want to be in a room with just women who have experienced rape because we experienced that particular thing. And that's how these separations are for me. If I'm talking about something that's specific to black women and what we experienced growing up, then I want to be in a room with just like girls and talk about that because that's our experience. That translates as well. The woman born woman thing is not a biological thing for me. It's a societal thing. It's a conditioning thing for me. Girlhood is a thing. I went through it. You know what I'm saying? I was taught things as a girl. You were taught things as a boy, even though you weren't, but you got that social conditioning and you grew up that way. You got that power. You were taught that you were important. And you were taught that your voice mattered. You were taught that you should be believed. You were taught that you could grow up and do all of these things and that mattered. In, re- in that same respect, I was taught that I could not do these things and my voice should be low and I should not run and jump. And I was not as strong and I was not as smart. I have to unlearn that stuff. And me and you... With both women, yeah, but you didn't experience what I experienced. So I'm going to go in this room and talk to these women because they did while you're in that room talking to those women who experienced what you did. And I don't see anything wrong with that. And it's important to have those spaces to me for that reason because it matters. Our experiences matter. They matter. Simple. Mm-hmm. It's not even complicated. I don't even have to get academic with it. It's really just that simple. It matters. Girlhood matters, skin matters, sex matters, gender matters. All of it matters because we've made it matter. Yeah, It's social constructs. And if you say, okay, you've taught me all my life that this is important. And when I treat it like important, like it actually matters. And then you say it doesn't matter. That's confusing. What are you saying? I could not do my work. I could not survive. If, it were, if women-only spaces didn't exist, I wouldn't still be here. I know I wouldn't. I would not still be here. Um, Because there's a safety that exists in rooms where you're with people who have had the same trauma or who've had the same history or have had the same lifestyle, who've had the same conditioning, who've had the same pain and struggle. There's a safety you find in those rooms that you're not, you you use that safety and you need that safety. and And when you're not in that safety, you stay silent. You know, I stay silent when I'm in a room with Other people, if I'm going through something that I went through in girlhood, I'm not about to talk about it in the room with people who have no idea what I'm talking about. It's just not going to happen. So I think we have room for everyone. What's wrong with having spaces where women can talk about particular things that we experience. I don't understand.
2: We know that it's rare for women to speak out publicly about incest. What prompted you to reveal that you were an incest survivor? Mm. I said that in two parts. Reveal it about myself.
1: It was a part of my story. Um, there's a difference between revealing it and actually dealing with it. You know what I'm saying? Revealing it was just simple. Just, you know, That's just the word. I'm an incest survivor. But now I decided to deal with it in my work and in public. <sighs> because I'm so used to just dealing with the rape. And the rape was easier to deal with um there are many reasons for that i won't go into that. but the rape was easier to deal with but my life was still in shambles i couldn't keep a relationship going i was recognizing these patterns and i'm in therapy so all this stuff from my childhood the lessons that i learned my mother dying when i was nine incest happening that same at that same same time and it's showing up in my relationships at this age, you know, because I haven't dealt with that stuff. And I had to, I realized that by not dealing with that, truly dealing with it, that I was also silencing the nine-year-old Janine, just like everybody in my family had done, Um, you know, We go through life, okay, and this is Janine at 9, this is Janine at 17. All those things matter. Those girls don't die. I'm still carrying them around. So there's still that little girl in there, you know, who still had all those feelings and all those things that she had to say. Nobody ever listened then, and now I'm still not listening. You know, I had to make a decision to listen to her and give her a voice. And that was scary for me because once you have a little girl who's been locked in a room you know i view my survival like this body of rooms that's what that's about so that means that there's this little girl in this room and she's been locked in that room since my childhood so she was silenced and i left her in the room i never opened the door because i never dealt with it so when i opened the room she just what happens to a little kid what do you think a kid does a nine-year-old when you open the door that she's been locked in she's just gonna run through the whole house Let everybody know she's there. She's going to wreak havoc. And that was was happening in my relationships. You know, no matter what I was learning in therapy as an adult, no matter what I was learning, there was still this little girl who was wreaking havoc in my life just because I needed to love her and make her feel safe. She didn't feel safe. Every time I got close to somebody, she would come up. I gave her a name, but she would come up and, you know, whisper things in my ear. I told you not to trust anybody, and why are you opening it up, and you know she's just going to hurt us, and why are you doing this to us? You know what I'm saying? Like, just, she was wreaking havoc. I had to learn how to give her a voice so we could come together and be one human being. I couldn't be just my adult self without being my 17-year-old self without being every girl I've ever been and that means talking about the incest and giving this little girl a voice and a life and I'm better for it I understand myself better mm-hmm. I see myself better I feel more whole you know I'm not fragmented as much as I was and she's beautiful you know what I'm saying I I love her I love her I love her you know what I'm saying and It helped me to understand all the things that she was doing just to try to protect me, you know? So, yeah, that's what makes me deal with it. I'm still trying to establish a language for her, you know? So she's still trying to talk with my adult voice, but that's, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever. We're still establishing a language for Mm -hmm. her. But, yeah, I I like letting her live. I just have to train her because she's still going wild. And, you know, I'm trying to do adult things, and she runs in the room and interrupts everything. So I'd be like, hey. You're safe. I'm going to talk to you later. I'll be back. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to believe you. I'm not going to choose anybody else. You know what I'm saying? I have to take care of her the way she was never taken care of. And that's why the incest work is important to me because it's about her, which is about me. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the integration of her into your adult
1: life. Not just the integration, but just allowing her to have her wholeness as herself as she was, you know? allowing her to have existed, not just as some ghost living inside me, but she was a little girl, you know, that that happened to. And let her be flesh and let it happen to her and feel what she felt. I had to ha- I had to allow that to happen and that was difficult. It still is. And I keep doing it because women keep coming into, they keep writing to me and whispering in to me that it helps them in some way that it helps them to find their little girls that they didn't even know were hiding inside their bodies you know so it creates um new ways for us to talk about this and to talk about healing and and once women started telling me that and and i started
2: recognizing that in my own healing i had to keep doing that
1: work Mm.
2: when you decided to start speaking out publicly what was the reaction from people in your life Uh, You mean like my family? Yeah. I think they respect it, but
1: um, it's a scary thing and it's a delicate balance because some of my stories are not just my stories. So, you know, like I have an older sister. She's never going to hear this so I can say this. I have an older sister who experienced incest, but she has decided she's not opening that door. She's not letting. I mean, it's a conscious decision for her. So we never talk about that part of my life. You know, she knows I do poetry, she's proud of me, she raised me, she's my sister. You know, she's my older sister. But that's a conversation we don't have. It's um, an intimacy we don't share. So, and it's like that with a lot of my family. They know what I'm doing and um, they respect it. And I think that my sister admires it. She tells she tells me all the time how proud of me she is. But at the same time, she can't do it. And I respect that. So yeah um, my life is lonely, <laughs> yeah, and um, I've had to make homes in a lot lots of different places because my home is not enough to foster who I've become because of those silences that still live that I'm still trying to break, but I can't break it's not my, I can't break other people's silences, mm-hmm. so I have to find ways to break mine and honor theirs, you know, and that's difficult sometimes. It's really, really tricky. The guy who uh, who raped me as a child um, was my uncle. And I have a sister who's 20 years older than me and he raped her too, as a child. And everybody knew in the family. I learned that as an adult. So you know, just learning all these things and what the girls in my family went through and all the silences and all those powerful women. You know what I'm saying? Like, How could that happen? You know, so he raped almost every girl in my family, you know, and there was a time when I was ostracized. When I first first started doing it, I was very out, very radical, very outspoken. I didn't care because I was, you know, I was going to kill myself. I didn't give a shit about anything or how, you know, I said it. Now I'm more careful, but back then... Mm -hmm. They hated to see me coming you know they didn't want me in holidays and i didn't want to be there because it was unbearable to just be sitting there and everybody's talking it's like why are we talking why aren't we talking about this you know what i'm saying why are we not talking about this so yeah
2: as a black woman fighting for the liberation of all women with particular focus on black women and girls How does your work speak to the struggles of racism in the feminist movement?
1: Um, I question um, privilege. I um, challenge white women to explore their privilege and explore their racism. I have a lot of white women who are um, in my life who say they love me um, and want to be close to me. um, And I'm very selective about that. because I think it's dangerous to have white people in my life who are not doing anti-racist work, because it's the same way I see it. It's it's dangerous to have men in my life who are not doing um, work to combat misogyny. It's the same for me. You got to... My role is to challenge that. I challenge it, I challenge it, I challenge it. It disgusts me um, to have white women who are in my face and I never see them talk about racism, never see them use their privilege for anything except benefit for themselves, um, never see them question anything, um, yeah, and take credit for things and don't acknowledge black women's voices. In my poetry, if if that's where you're coming to me, because I'm writing to black women, primarily, that's who I'm talking to. I'm trying to write for black women, but I understand that other women find my work. So if I'm in a room and I'm talking about these intimate things, what are you going to do with this? You know, what are you going to do with this black pain once you've been witness to it? You know, are you just going to use it as entertainment or are you going to actually do some work around it and use your power? Don't come to the poetry just to hear me talk about how much racism hurts me and how I feel like a victim and how I feel whipped and you know and you can feel compassion and tell me how much you love me as a person you know it's, it's useless to me it means nothing to me What do you, what are you doing with that whiteness mm-hmm. how are you exploring it and breaking it apart and how are you using it and yeah I challenge it in my work all the time because it shows up in my life like I would love to Racism destroys everything. You know, it destroys everything. I would love to just have no wall here between me and you, and I would be intimate with you, and you could be intimate with me, and I don't have to ever worry about you thinking about calling me nigger. I don't have to ever worry about you believing stereotypes about me. I don't ever have to worry about you leaving me in a room where I'm being ridiculed or victimized, and you just stand there and watch it happen and then comfort me after. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just... I just try to question it and confront it where I see it. Racism. And it shows up in this movement all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's bigger than just not touching my hair. It's about how you're touching my feelings and touching my emotions and touching my racial pain. And why you're touching it. And what you're getting out of that. Are you masturbating in some insane way? Or are you actually trying to touch that pain to, to transform it or do something with it? or learn about it, truly.
2: Well, those were my questions, aside from asking if you would um, be willing to read a poem of your choosing.
1: This ain't the mind I began with. Could not walk in line, and so I ran this. I closed the blinds, I can't, yes I can this. But I'm going crazy just trying to understand this. This ain't the heart that used to beat for me. Where is the passion that used to move these feet for me? This is not the poetry that used to feel so free to me. Ain't even safe with a woman no more. And I'm missing what we used to be to me. These ain't the fingers I used to feel with. Oh, how the pain lingers. Until I deal with my guided stings I want a woman to heal with I'm a lonely thing hungry for just one to be real with I just ain't the same as my yesterday And I'm scared cause I thought I was always supposed to be that way shape shifting a contorted mind and I'm finding no peace within the beds I lay Now I'm actually attached to my life now I can't run away Away from all the pain that lives in my bones Away from that broken palace, I was forced to call my home. Away from these crowds, I only know how to be alone. We made love, and I'm scared she'll realize she just fucked a clone. These ain't the eyes that I used to see with, and these ain't the kind of laws that I agree with. I never reached the mountaintop with those I used to be with, but I crashed the glass holding the poison they tried to kill me with. I don't think I'm the woman that I was born to be. They say it's ordained, but I can't believe any God would open up that door to me Where monsters were waiting to violently fuck the core of me No matter what you say, I know there was some more to me These ain't the lungs that used to breathe for me I let you down, but I still need you to believe in me I will leave here a restless soul, but don't grieve too long for me Write a poem to save some living girl, maybe write a little song for me Cause this is not the back that could have stood so straight but mama died, and then the kinfolk, then kidnapped and raped. I never got away from him, but I can prove I did escape. He didn't kill me, no, but the self I am is slightly oddly shaped. Shit, this ain't the poem that I was trying to write. I was just gonna suck a little. I wasn't even trying to bite, but I come down hard. I try to pull softly, and I just rip the night, because I don't feel anything, just the little I feel with all my might. I ache to saturate, because when I rain, I pour. Girls can fuck as much as we want to. I don't believe in whores. I do not rise to any surface. I overflow the shore. And I tried and I tried, but I can't calm this beast no more. So take this poem. I lay right at your feet. Like a slaughtered animal, don't consider its life, just eat the meat. I throw these words out spiteful almost. I ain't really all that sweet. I am the thickness, the oozing, then cracking, the destiny of ghetto poured concrete. <laughs>
0: Women's Waves is produced in Vancouver, Canada by Vancouver Rape Relief and Women's Shelter. You can find our episodes on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Mixcloud and our website rapereliefshelter.bc.ca What you're hearing is our theme song. It's called Sisterhood, and it's created by Music Libertory.